Good morning, everybody. So what I have to share today is nothing new, absolutely nothing new, but it's just reminders. You know, once in a while, we need to be reminded of certain things. I know I do. And so basically, that's what I'm going to do today. So the Lord has given us an amazing privilege as people in that we are able to live a natural and supernatural life. I love that. Both are actually our habitat. Fishes, for example, their habitat is water. Our natural realm, our habitat is the earth. But when we are born again, and what I mean by that, for those who don't know, we are body, soul, and spirit. Your spirit man is um, separated from God until you're born again. When you're born again, you receive the, spirit, the life of the spirit of God is breathed into you. At that point in time, the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm, becomes a natural habitat to us. So we have two habitats we live in. We hope and we desire that the spiritual habitat, that, that spirit man is the one who leads us and guides us. doesn't always happen. The flesh man fights. But this is just some pointers of how to strengthen the supernatural life with God. And really basic some stuff. Some, some of the points, um, there's other points as well that I have left out and I just don't have time. But some of the points I'm going to literally lead the headline because they've been touched in this church already in, the, in recent months. Like hearing the voice of God. That is such a huge key. How do we follow the Lord if we don't hear his voice? It is a huge key. But Clayton did like a whole series on it. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that again and again and again and again if you don't know how to hear the voice of the Lord until it becomes part of who you are, until you can discern quickly which is the voice of the Lord because that's one of the ways we flow in this. Okay, so the first one I'm going to touch, us, touch on is our time with God. You know, physically, when we're hungry, we, we go to the fridge, we eat. We look after our natural bodies, and we feed them all the time. But spiritually, we don't always do that. We need to feed our spiritual man on a regular basis. And the way that happens is, obvious, is obviously many ways, but we need to spend time with God. We need to remain with God. Um, spend time in His presence. So you've got to take time. We all have to take time to get into the presence of God. It's not just a checklist. Okay, I'm going to read the word for 10 minutes. I'm going to pray my automatic prayers. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You've got to come from the life within. And to do that, we have to practice the presence of God. It, it's absolutely powerful. Um, this thing of the presence of God is so key. And it's different for each of us. To get into the presence of God is an entire sermon which we don't have time for, but we get into the presence of God differently. When Ken gets into the presence of God, the way he can get into the presence of God easily is he picks up his, the Bible and he reads it. And God, I think Clayton's the same, the Word of God just draws him in, and then he's in the presence of God. Most of the time, if I pick up the Bible and just read it, my mind wanders. Okay, it doesn't so much work for me until I'm in the presence of God. Then I get from the Word of God. But for me to get into the presence of God, worship takes me there. 
Praise and worship ushers me into the presence of God. The other thing that takes me into the presence of God is nature. I can go and sit outside under a tree, think about the Lord, and the presence of God hits me. So for each person, it can be different. And don't think, oh, you know, when I read the Bible, my mind wanders. It happens to me. It's okay. Get into the presence of God, then read the Bible. Can can get into the presence of God through the Bible, then worship. It works. What, what works for you? Just ask the Lord that, and he will show you that. I want to just give two scriptures. Galatians in the Amplified, Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit, seek him, and he will be responsive to his guidance and be responsive to his guidance. And then you will certainly not carry out the desires of the sinful nature which responds impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. In Romans 8, verse 9a, from the Passion, it says, but when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. So this is what we want. We have a godly inheritance. God has given each of us a sense of purpose and identity. That is key. And we have to grow in this godly inheritance, but we have to walk into it. it, it doesn't, he has this inheritance, but we've got to walk into it. Okay, so we, um, we enter in Psalm, Psalm 104, verse 4 says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and into his courts with prayers. So to enter in, you need to do that with thanksgiving. And that is our next point. Thanksgiving or gratitude, whichever you want to talk about it, is such a key. And I encourage people, this is what I do, you don't have to do that, but what I do when I journal, the first thing I do is I write down three things of thanks every single time. Three things I'm thankful for. Before I do any prayer, anything else, I write down three things I'm thankful for. What happens then is when I'm having a bit of a tough time, or I'm going through whatever, I go to my journal, I go read back for two weeks, and I'm amazed at God's goodness. He's done this, he's done this, he's done this, he's answered that, he is this, he is that, he is that. And it reminds me of all those things I'm grateful for. And God brings it back. So that's just a very practical thing that I do. And I also want to say, our focus is key. Where we look is where we live. If we're always looking at our problems, I'm not talking about denying that there's an issue, but if we're always looking at that, and that's our focus, that's where we live. If we look at God and all he's done and his kindness and his love, that is where we live. Just a practical example. As you know, recently my dad passed away last year. Well, I could have looked at the fact, we're a very close family, I could have looked at the fact that the last 20 years I've lived on a different continent to my parents. I could have think, imagine if I was there. I could have looked at that. Or I could have looked at the amazing privilege that God enabled me to go back three times in one year and that I was there with my dad when he passed from this earth to Jesus. So where you look is where you live. The one is, oh, why did God do this? The other one is, wow, God, how good you are. How kind you are. How grateful I am for your goodness that overflows again and again. Okay, the next point is praise. Remember, we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts 
with praise. So you're stepping in a little bit deeper. And this has to be a lifestyle. You know, praise isn't only singing, that's a big part of it, but just praise and thanks, and they're praising the Lord. But it's, praise is a quick way to jumpstart joy and love in the Lord, joy in the, joy in the Lord and the love of the Lord. Because we're focusing on who God is and what he's done and all those things, not on our circumstances. We're praising him. Our eyes look up. They look up. I have so very many memories of powerful praise. And it's just it's amazing. And praise leads you into worship. And I'm not going to touch on that because Jen did an amazing job. Okay, but the praise leads you into worship. So this is kind of a blend, blended area. But I remember very early on in my walk with the Lord, um, how this impacted me. I remember often, I would sing on the way to work. Every day I would sing on the way to work. I didn't really have CDs or anything like that. It was just me singing in the car on the way to work. And there were times when I was so overcome with the presence of God, I actually didn't know if I could drive because of the way I was weeping before the Lord. But God is so faithful. I would just literally weep on the way. But even that... Um, it was really wonderful. And I even remember when we moved to Cape Town, I went through a season. Understand, I didn't really understand. And I, I kind of was told, you know, this way you pray, you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that. It's a formula. And they don't always work. But I remember I couldn't do that. Every time I sat down to, to have a quiet time, all I could do was worship. And I ended up in tears. And I remember for three months, I don't think I offered up a single prayer. I just worshipped. And I thought, oh, Lord, I should be praying. I should be praying. I shouldn't have. God was teaching me. I was praising him and worshipping. And God did something so deep in my heart. But I saw this. The power of pray, um, praise and worship is so powerful. One of the first, one of the, the nearer youth retreats we did, Ken was not yet saved. We took away 33 youth on this youth retreat, and the church we had was a Presbyterian church. There was no worship leader that we could come with, so we asked a girl from another Presbyterian church if she could come and lead the worship. We didn't know her before that, but nonetheless, she was an amazing worship leader. And I remember on the Saturday night, God moved so powerfully. 30 out of 33 youth. Remember, this was a Presbyterian church. I had never seen this. I had never heard of and ignored any of them. 30 out of 33 youth were on their knees or on the floor weeping before the Lord because of the presence of God, worshiping and crying out to the Lord. I eventually went to bed. I've always been a late night owl, but eventually Ken went to bed a little earlier than I went to bed a little later, probably about 2 in the morning. Some of those youth prayed until 5.30 in the morning, spontaneously. That's the presence of God. Came out of worship and praise. Ruth Heflin, um, she wrote a book called Glory. I encourage everybody to get it. It's on praise and worship and glory. I want to just give some quotes. She says, praise until the spirit of worship comes. Worship until the glory comes. Then stand in the glory. Praise releases joy. It's a powerful... And it's, a, it's powerful and it's a weapon of warfare. Praise opens the way for us to move into true worship, where we can really worship in spirit and truth. Praise impacts the area you live in. We praise as a celebration. We praise as a love offering to our Lord. Let us choose to glorify the Lord, both corporately and individually. Let us sing his praises and dance his praises. You know, David danced foolishly. 
I love that. It's a fun part of praise. And as Clayton always says, physical obedience brings spiritual blessing. So dance before the Lord. Next is the Word of God. And again, a lot has been preached on this. But it's the Word of God that we get and keep in our hearts. You know, if you had to go to a fire and you had the fuel to, to light the fire, but there was no wood to burn or no whatever you're going to burn, you would have no fire. If you had a little log, you could have a little fire. If you had a bonfire, if you had a lot of logs, you could have a bonfire. What we put in is there to fuel us. We need to really plug into the Word. You know, often a time we don't even see what God has for us. If I was suddenly given a private jet with a pilot and everything, but I didn't know what it was and I didn't understand it, I could go around telling everybody I have a private jet. It's absolutely wonderful. Oh, where are you going? No, no, I just have the private jet. It's a bit useless. <laughs> but the truth is it could carry me to the nations of the world. Get to know what God has for you. Get to know that stuff. And that comes through the Word, through hearing the Word, to finding out who you are in God through the Word, what He's called you to. I'm not talking necessarily specifics. Has He called you to be a pastor? Has He called you to do that? But He's called us to worship Him. He's called us to be with Him. He's called us to be His children. Get to know that. That comes from the Word of God. Next point is joy. For me, this is a very... I, I cannot touch on it too much, but it's not happenstance. It's not just a moment in time when things seem okay. Nehemiah 8, 10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength and your stronghold. So for me, I've had um, many prophetic words about joy. Many years ago, I had four prophetic words from different prophets, completely different. Some really known prophets that the Lord has changed my name to joy. And I've had prophetic words about the joy of the Lord. Now, Ken's getting all these prophetic words of signs and wonders, and I'm getting the joy of the Lord. And I'm thinking, well, that's really great, Lord, but um, what about, you know, the signs and wonders? <laughs> that would be fun. But, and so it didn't really make sense to me, but slowly God allowed me to see how powerful the joy of the Lord is because it is the strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I found through my deepest challenges, the joy of the Lord has enabled me to walk through them in freedom and peace. There's a book on that one um, by Charles Spurgeon called The Fullness of Joy. That book is what helped me to understand the joy of the Lord and what it, why it's so key. But that's available to all of us, not just me. You don't have to have a prophetic word. It's part of who you are. It's the kingdom of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The next point I want to touch on is generosity. This is a powerful key in the kingdom. I was blessed to be raised in a, um, a family that practiced this. Just to back up a bit, my parents were both raised in absolute poverty. After the war, uh, no, even before the war, their, both their fathers had died, and they were raised by single moms who didn't have much education. And they did the very best they can, but my parents grew up in poverty. But my dad was a fighter. He was not going to stay there. He did amazing things. Um, well, all the, and I could, it's like I could give an entire testimony, but he got out of the area we lived in. It wasn't easy, but he did it. He took us out the area to a regular community. But growing up, when I was little, um, 
the house we lived in, it didn't even have a bathroom inside. We had to go to the bathroom outside, and it had a sink, sink walls. It didn't have a regular bathroom. It didn't matter. We didn't see it. We didn't know that. We were happy. So my dad um, did a whole lot of stuff, different jobs and everything, until he found something that really worked, and he did quite well. And he's always been generous because they came from nothing. They've always understood what it's like for people to not have. And so we grew up understanding generosity. And, I mean, the things that they did was just wonderful. But because we had this understanding, it was easy, in a sense, to be generous to a certain degree. So when we heard, when we became Christians and we learned the principle of tithing, for us, that was easy, because when we first learned it, Ken had money, so it was easy, and then after this, we went to full-time ministry, and we didn't have money, because, as you know, Ken did have a gambling issue, so they had cancelled the money he had made out, <laughs> so we went in with nothing, but we understood the principle of tithing, and that was, that was great. It wasn't, it wasn't a complicated situation for us, because we knew it was the word of the Lord. So it was easy for us. But I want to read from John, a quote from John D. Rockefeller Sr. Yes, I tithe. I would like to tell you all how it came about. I had, be I had to begin to work as a small boy to help support my mother. My first wages amounted to $1.50 per week. The first week after I got, went, home to work, went home from work, I took home my $1.50 to my mother. And she held the money in her lap and explained to me that she would be happy if I would give a tenth to the Lord. I did. And from that week to this day, I have tithed on every dollar God has entrusted me to. And I want to say, if I had not tithed on the first dollar, I would, I may, I may, and I want to, if I may, I would not, I may not have tithed on the first million dollars I made. Tell your readers to train your children to tithe, and they will grow up to be faithful stewards of the Lord. Ken and I have had so many, I could write a book on God's provision for us. I could write it over and over. Honestly, the, the tithing was one aspect, but we learned generosity as well. I remember the one time God, um, God spoke to me. We were now in full-time ministry, earning like really nothing. And God told me to clear out 50% of my wardrobe. It was not a big wardrobe of clothes. Closet, sorry, closet. It's a very 50% of the closet. So I went down every single thing, and I gave away 50%. I thought, okay, God, because that's what he told me to do. And I knew I didn't have any money to buy anything else. Within a short while... It was my birthday a couple months later, and my dad phoned me and he said, I just really feel that I need to give you some extra money this year. And he gave me money. My brother phoned me and gave me extra money, just spontaneously. They did not know. Then a lady in the church came to us and said, I've just got a new job at a clothing store. She was very high up, like, manager, like one of the top managers. She says, I'd just like you to come around um, and choose whatever you want. You get it at cost. She gave me a discount on top of that, and I had all the money from my family that had been given to me. I doubled my wardrobe in one day. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. And I want to say that, honestly, the way he is is just... Uh, the, the, gen the things he has done has been over and over. 
There were times that Ken and I in Cape Town, when we went into full-time ministry, um, we had made a decision, Ken and I, that we would never ask my, my dad or my brother for money. Both of them would have helped us and could have. Both of them are generous. If I had phoned my dad and said, we're a little short this month, I wouldn't have been alone. It would have been a gift right away. My brother came down the one time on vacation, and um, we had to go on a marriage, council, a marriage seminar, which was mandatory for the church, so our kids couldn't come. So they stayed at our house for the two days um, to watch our kids and their kids. The next, next time he says to me, this bed has a spring in it, it comes out. I said, I'm so sorry, I forgot to tell you. He goes back, I get a new bed. But we never, we never told my parents or, or my brother a single thing. There were times that Ken and I did not have money to eat. So what we would do is we would just didn't eat. We'd put aside what we had, measure it out for the kids, and the kids would say to us, oh, mommy and daddy are fasting. We're thinking, well, we don't really have a choice at this time. <laughs> but every single time, God did something. But the one story is about the kids, which was very funny. I felt the one time, it was I think our first year in Cape Town, and we were about in, in South Africa um, in the ministry. I don't know what it's like in, in Presbyterian churches here, but you get four weeks vacation a year. So we used to take one in winter and three in summer, but that's expensive. So our summer vacation was coming up, and I felt the Lord say to me, you need to ask your children to pray for money for this vacation. I spoke to Ken, and we agreed that if that's the Lord, we tell them. It's not a burden you put on a seven- and a five-year-old child. But we felt God say that. Well, the one Saturday morning, we lived in the manse, which is the house on the property. and you have So it was a lovely property, and the kids used to play all around. It was quite safe. So I hear these kids are in and out and in and out, and it was fine. And then I noticed they were a bit quiet, so I go out to check them. And they have put a table up at the entrance of the church. Keeping in mind that there is a driveway coming in and there's a meeting going on in the morning. And they put this table up. And they put on the table something to the event of we need money for a holiday, which is vacation in South Africa. Okay. And I go out and I see this. And they've taken out cans and they've taken out a couple of their toys. They've taken out envelopes written in permanent marker, 20 cents per envelope. And they've taken out all these things they're going to sell so we can have money for a vacation. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, this is so embarrassing. But how can I go to them after you're the one who told me that I must speak to the children? They're doing everything they know. And I thought, oh Lord, this is like a dilemma. So I phoned a friend of mine. I said, please, this is what happened Will you come by the kids out. <laughs> so she came. She came and she bought everything left, and I said, I give her the money back. She didn't want it back. It was about $10. And they made 40 rand, which at that time was equivalent to $40. They were so excited. They were so excited. Now, you and I know that's nothing for a vacation. But you know what? God did that here. Three weeks. My brother phones me. He said, listen, I was thinking we should go to a hotel this year. Um, it was like a resort, actually a resort in the mountains. It was a five-star resort. He said, we'll go and I'll cover it. He, they had a room, we had a room, my parents had a room. One week at a five-star resort in the mountains. Then he phones me a bit later, and he said to me, uh, we always used to go up, he had a, um, a unit at a game reserve, um, we'd go on safari, so we'd go up and spend a couple of days with him and go there. So that was another week. 
the unit was a five-star accommodation. Then he phones us and he says to us, this is all before we went, he said, you know, I've got this timeshare being given to me and I, I really can't use it this year. Would you be able to use it? A brand new resort on the coast. Three five-star accommodations for three weeks vacation. Listen, I mean, that is amazing. We didn't have to pay a cent, just gas. What happened? I remember when Chantal was 11, I said to her the one day, you know, we lived in a very wealthy area. I don't know why God always places us in these wealthy areas, and we had nothing. My kids had hardly any toys compared to the other kids, but they were happy. And I remember one day saying to Chantal, I'm so sorry you haven't got all the toys your, your friends have got. She looked at me like she was horrified. She said, but mom, you've given us faith. And I thought back to when she was seven years old. See, God is that good. God is that good. He grows you in faith. The next one is hearing the word of God, which I'm not going to touch on. Then um, prayer. It is such a privilege to be able to go to my father anytime I wish, to share with him all the wonderful things, to share with him and thank him for all the things he's done, to share with him my burdens, to whatever it is, to be able to have that freedom to go is amazing. Let us learn to pray in faith. This is not easy when you're going through some tough times, especially when it's something you've prayed for for years and years and you haven't seen breakthrough. But our God is faithful. I want to read you a little thing. One day, George Muller began praying for five of his friends. After many months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years before the fourth man was saved. Muller persevered in prayer until his death for the fifth friend. And throughout those 52 years, he never gave up hope that all would accept Christ. His faith was rewarded Rewarded soon after Muller's funeral. The last man was saved. We sometimes put timing on what God's going to do. But God is always faithful. But to pray from faith, sometimes we don't really know exactly what the will of God is. And I want to encourage you, if that's the thing, you're praying for something, you don't exactly know how to pray for it, pray the word. Pray the word. Like, for instance, if you're praying for the unsaved, say you're praying for somebody who's unsaved or backslidden or something like that, you go to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, that's who you are in Christ, you read the scriptures and declare them over the person and declare them over the person. God, may they be this, may they be that, may they be, Lord, I pray this for them, I pray for them. You then know 100% that you are praying the will of God. So faith rises up because you're in line with the will of God. You're not praying your own little prayer, which is nothing wrong with that. But when you don't know what to pray, you pray the Word of God. It really, really is powerful. Um, we can also, also, you can ask a specific scripture. Growing up, my kids had scriptures that God had given me over and over through the years for them. I declared those over them for years and sometimes still do. When we, get a, when we pray a specific prayer, it is like an arrow. It's sharp, and it's a target. General prayers might sound good. You know, God bless everybody in the world. Well, it's like it doesn't carry much weight in a sense. It's like God is a blesser. He wants to bless everybody in the world, but let's target them. Let's target the prayers. And also, 
you know, prayer is not really a formula. The blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus is exceptionally powerful. And something I use often in prayer, but it's not a tagline. We don't just say, oh, Lord, I'm praying to the shop um, and just give this tagline. In the name of Jesus, have everybody in the store and walk out. Be specific, target, and go and study up on the blood of Jesus. Study up on the name of Jesus. And yes, powerful, powerful prayers. Remember also to pray from your position in God, not necessarily where you're at at the moment. You know, sometimes we have bad days and you think, oh, grief. I'm, you know, it's like, really, I'm, I've done this and that. Pray from your position, who you are, a son of daughter of the living God. And also you pray from heaven down. It's not necessarily us begging God, please get my son saved, please get my son saved, please get my son saved. No, God, heaven down. You, you are, it worked. <laughs> it, but honestly, you pray from heaven down, from Christ in us, the hope of glory. You pray from that place, from heaven down. That's why declarations so important. That's why the words so important. Those prayers are powerful. Yes, we can cry out to God. God, I'm really having a rough day. I just need you. There's nothing wrong with that. But powerful prayers come with the authority of Christ, who you are in Christ. The next thing I want to touch on is service. Oh, my, this is not my strength. <laughs> I have a husband who is as servant-hearted as you could ever imagine, and so is my son, and so is my daughter, Chantal and Clayton, both very servant-oriented. They did get that from their father, not me. I have had to learn to serve. Okay. But let's listen to this. I got this from somewhere, so I don't know exactly. I can't give credit for it, but I don't know where. Abraham's servant sent Abraham. Abraham's servant was sent to Abraham's people to find a wife for Isaac. When he got to the city, he asked God for favor. So let's pick up the story in Genesis 24, 12 to 22. Rebecca, we see, was a beautiful woman. I don't think this is the exact scripture. She was Syrian and a granddaughter of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Let us see that she was introduced as diligently industrious and beautifully sensitive girl. Her willingness to serve Abraham's servant and then to give water to all his camels show this. A great lesson in the way God provides surprising rewards for servant-hearted people is learned here. Little did Rebecca know, listen to this, she just served. Little did Rebecca know that those camels she was giving water to were carrying untold gifts for her and her family. Little did she know that her future destiny lay in the seemingly ordinary act of service. But she was a servant-hearted lady. Service opens the door. It opens the door big time. Natural service can open the door for destiny. For me personally, when I really understood service, we, we had the privilege of, um, there was a man by the name of David Cape, a very prophetic man, and he would walk, walk with her across in a bowl and wash people's feet. So his first walk was across, he's walked across America and all sorts, but his first walk was across South Africa. We lived in Cape Town. That was the point of the last, that's where he finished. And we were privileged to be part of that time. So we went to the, he had a meeting in a, um, somewhere in the middle of Cape Town. And 
people just came and people were gathered around, and these people were really poor. He really ministered often a time in really, really destitute poor places. And a lady had come with a child in a stroller. Now, the child was about 12, but he was about the size of a six-year-old child. He had never walked, and he was blind. And David Cape, like he did, started washing this child's feet, leaned down before him, took out his feet and started washing them. As he did, this child's feet started to move for the first time. David then took him up, lifted him out of the stroller, and he shakily stood. David secured him, carried on praying, and started going back. And this child started to walk. Eventually, somebody took this child by the hand, and he ran all the way around, completely healed by an act of service. There is power in service. Okay, he did not see that day. I hope that that happens later on. Um, I also want to touch just very briefly on a church family. You know, as a family, we can see each other's flaws and everything like that, but it is family. Attending church, it's not about a legalistic thing, but there's something about coming together corporately. And when you come together corporately, something is released. So there's like worship, the corporate worship, there's something released. There's a different anointing. There's a, there's a corporate anointing that comes. So it is important, and I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to put religion on people because that doesn't work. And it really, honestly, if you do that, it's just a, a matter of checking boxes. But there's something about coming together in the body of Christ. The Lord does call us to come together. And when we do, we see different giftings. I love it. I love it when a child prays and somebody's healed. I love, I love team and I love the body of Christ. And we are a family. And with family can come issues. That's okay. That's okay. It's part of being a family. But I want to encourage people to, to come when they can to participate in the family, not, not only to receive. We do receive, but we come to serve in a family. When our kids were younger, teenagers, um, and we were obviously leading churches, they always wanted to go home early because when you're in ministry, you're pretty much stuck at church for a long while after each service. And so the kids would want to go home. Now they had friends that were old enough to drive, but... At that particular time, we had quite a nice house with a pool, and almost every Sunday, we would have something at the house. At least every other Sunday, we either had an elders' meeting, or we had a whole corporate picnic, or we had some, we were always having stuff on a Sunday afternoon. So the kids knew if they went home early, them and their friends would have to get everything ready. And that released us to stay there. By the age of 14, they knew how to host people. People would come into the house, the tables were laid, they knew how to show, they knew where everything was because the people would arrive there while we were still stuck at church. And they knew, you do not go and do your own thing until we arrive. They served, and they knew how to host their family, their church family. Family, you do stuff together, but you all do stuff together. You don't only receive. So as a church family, I want to encourage people, and I'm sure most of you are. I'm, I'm not speaking. I don't know anybody, what they do and what they don't do. That's irrelevant. But get involved in family. Family is important, both your own family and your church family. 
And then... Um, I want to touch on living for the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This scripture always challenges us. He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Not some, but everything. Here's a quote. Where am I? My pages, I think. Yeah, no, this is right. One of this, this is a quote from um, John Wimber's book, Kingdom Living. I, those of you who don't know John Wimber, he was the man who spearheaded the Vineyard Church in America and started the whole thing. And his quote is, one of the greatest, great tragedy, tragedies of Western Christendom is the disparity between what Christians say they believe and how they actually live. Let us pursue an eternal heavenly perspective rather than a temporal one. Let us live our life around Jesus and his kingdom, not fitting Jesus into our lives. We fit our lives into his life, into what he's called us to. Let us lift him up. Let us live for him. What does he want us to do? God has so much for us in this kingdom. It is a kingdom of great value. It is, I cannot even explain what all God has for us. And he takes care of the practical needs like the finances and things like that. He really does. But live for his kingdom. Decide things with the kingdom in mind. I know when we were leading a church, um, we'd obviously have a lot more people around at our houses. And when we, like for instance, when we first moved here, we didn't really have a facility. We were meeting at the, uh, the, the school. We didn't really have a facility, so all the meetings were in our house. We didn't have another space to meet. So it was not uncommon for us to have a prayer meeting with people sitting up the stairs. It was not uncommon for us to... I mean, Chantal took youth there. We had prayer meetings there. We had um, elders' meetings there. We had everything at our house. Okay, so when we decided, knowing this, when we bought our first lounge suite in America... We had to know that that lounge suite would be stood on by children. It would have people sitting on it all the time. It would have children jumping on it. I, don't, I really am not interested in making a fuss about those things. I'm not saying it's right, parents. That's up to their parents to sort out. But we bought a, la a lounge suite with that in mind. Live for the kingdom. If something takes you away from the kingdom, not, just get rid of it. It's not really important. Live with a kingdom mindset. Raise your children with a kingdom mindset. Let them understand the kingdom of God. I remember we took Chantal and Clayton to um, one of the outreaches in Zimbabwe. Zimb the particular area was an unreached people's group, exceptionally poor. Um, the people lived in mud huts. They didn't even have a bathroom. They had, for us, they had built this outhouse with a little hole that size in it. It really wasn't very pleasant, but nonetheless. They had built it for us. We were humble to the core. I don't think one person that went on that outreach didn't receive more than we gave. We were humbled to the core of our hearts. Half past four in the morning, kids were walking a mile to pump water so we could bath. 
Six o'clock at night, kids were walking to pump water. They pumped water to eat. The children were doing that. They served. The people had come. They had brought things. They'd come from all over and brought things. Their, their full week's supply of food to give to us. We were very blessed that we had taken up a lot of food that we knew we could leave them with way more than they had given us. Otherwise, I don't know how I would have actually been able to swallow that food. But God, in his kindness, showed us something of value. And I remember going home. Our children were with us. And I remember as they opened the door, I think it was Chantal said, you can just press the switch and the light goes on. Gratitude. Gratitude. Something of the kingdom. Something of the kingdom. I remember when Clayton went to Sudan, I had people say to me, you mustn't let him go. You must tell him he can't go. It's very dangerous. I, as his mother, knew it was very dangerous. I prayed like anything. I didn't know he would actually be driving through um, um, fields with landmines that had not been taken out yet, but um, that, that I knew it was dangerous. But imagine if I didn't have a kingdom value. I said, Clayton, you mustn't go. What would that say about my faith in Jesus? God called him to go. What would it say? Oh, I trust you, Lord, but not with my son. You can't put him in danger. I said to people, if I do that, I'll be raising half a man. Kingdom first. That was not easy, but kingdom first. Finally, oh, I need to finish. <laughs> I was going to touch on forgiveness, but never mind, Clayton's done that. I want us to just close our eyes for a moment and just take a moment to become aware of the presence of God. Just become aware of his presence. Let's take a moment. Connect with him. Jesus, I pray for your people, for this family, for all of us, Lord. Come and touch us, Jesus. Take us ever deeper into your kingdom, into your presence. Let us adjust the things that need adjustments. Just never legalistic, Lord, because you're a God of love. Come, Holy Spirit.